How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 85 of x Lapsed, uh, the long-awaited 85th episode, because now we finally, finally get to put Empire colon X-Men behind us. So, uh, let's not waste any time. <laughs> let's get right into this thing so we can get it uh, checked off the list and uh, put in a long box never to be looked at ever, ever again. So yes, Empire, colon X-Men number four, had an October 2020 cover date. The story is called Unring, and we're going to be talking about ringing and unringing and re-ringing and bell ringing, all sorts of ringing throughout this episode. This one was written by the head of X himself, Jonathan Hickman, with pencils by Jorge Molina and Lucas Warnick. Inks by Adriano de Benedetto and Lucas Warnick. Colors, Nolan Wooded and Rachel Rosenberg. Letters, VCs, Clayton, Cowles, Designs, Tom Muller, Edits, Bisa White-Sabolski, cover price $4.99, went on sale August 19th, 2020. That's quite a creative team here, right? Um, multiple pencilers, multiple inkers, multiple colorists. You'd almost think that this entire thing was an afterthought. I wouldn't say that, but uh, you might think it. Anyway, let's get into this here. Roll Call. Magic, Scarlet Witch, Angel, Multiple Men, Doctor Strange, Monet, Beast, Nightcrawler, Opal, Edith, Augusta, Lily, and Explody Boy, followed by a double-page spread of creds. Now we open by picking up from a scene that took place way back in Empire, colon, X-Men number one, which feels like it was absolute ages ago. This is where uh, the Scarlet Witch had just finished ringing a bigger bell. Uh, they're going to be talking about bells being rung and unrung a lot, as mentioned, so let's get used to it. Now, if you remember, she was on Genosha and is responsible for this whole 16 million mutant zombies thing. So now, in this scene, we get a good look at what, you know, the thing that freaked her out so bad back in issue one. And we left her where she was just like, oh no, not you. And, uh, duh, it's a herd of zombies. She struggles for a bit before bugging the F out. Now, she would eventually wind up back at the Sanctum Sanctorum, so Doctor Strange can spend several pages calling her an idiot. She explains what she'd done and how much research she'd put into doing it, but he still thinks that she's a damned fool. And he's not wrong, though uh, he might be a, a hair more annoying than even she is at this moment. She, Doctor Strange is kind of irritating here. Anyway, so... We all know she wanted to undo the whole No More Mutants bell thing, but Doctor Strange said that that bell couldn't be unrung, so he suggested that she might try to ring a bigger bell, which she did, and now, to undo what she'd done here, wait for it, they're going to have to ring an even bigger bell. Bell, 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 ring, ding, ring, ding, bell. Okay, so Doctor Strange agrees to help, but first he has to stop for a sassy chat with Wong, then we're finally off to the races. 
What it all eventually comes down to, and they're taking a long way to get here, is that whole odd rod that Magic picked up last issue, that one that she was just baffled by its beauty and needed to hold, and, you know, turned her into a demon. First, Doctor Strange makes it so the mutant zombies can't leave the island, so there's no way off Genosha for them. Then, this rod will be there for about 30 days, and when it dissipates, so too will Wanda's original, not mutant in origin, hex thingy from issue one. Wanda wonders what might happen should anyone try and actually go to Genosha within those 30 days, and, uh, hey, we can answer that. If that were to happen, a really awful and forced cash-in storyline might just break out, which is exactly where we are. Also, a stupid-looking giant plant zombie with a cabbage head might start running around the place yelling, Glor, glor, glor. Speaking of which, how about we go to the right now, the here and now, and find out what's going on. We do have, in fact, a giant plant zombie with a cabbage head yelling, Glor, glor, glor. And we get to see how all of our characters react to this monster. And this whole story is being played for laughs. Uh, this is supposed to be a funny haha, and unfortunately, Hickman just does not do it for me when it comes to his attempts at comedy. I know comedy is relative, and you know mileage may vary, but I can't think of a single thing that Hickman's wrote that I've laughed at. Some of the other writers on the Dawn of X stuff I've laughed at, but Hickman, no, no, very try-hard stuff here. So from Genosha to Krakoa, and Beast continues working alongside. We'll go with Opal. I think I think this is Opal. Which uh, reminds me, uh, when was the last time any of us saw Opal Tanaka? You know, because she was part of some stories even more boring than this one. I wonder if she's still kicking around anywhere. Anyway, so Beast, she, he's continuing to work alongside Opal. And he decides to swipe a bit of her technology while she's not paying attention. Now, it's clarified here that the Horde culture has ma- actually managed to hack the Krakoan gateways. If you remember back in X-Men number 3... That was sort of what they were trying to figure out. And now this enables them to control those gateways so that they can pass through them, despite not being mutants, and they can also apparently turn them off, kind of like they did here with the Krakoa-Genosha connection. And I gotta say, this is still a really good portrayal of Beast. Uh, He even looks like a different Beast. He's got like that same like winged hairdo like he had in the 90s. It's a much better Beast than what we usually get, though... I mean, therein kind of lies a, a problem with uh, continuity and and linearity of storytelling, but we'll talk about that later. Anywho, he figures out what makes the horticulture gimmick tick and decides to make use of it himself. And so he opens a gateway and through it walks Explodey Boy. But not the zombie version. This is an already resurrected one, complete with a, you know actual non-rotting flesh and also a jetpack. Beast sends him to Genosha, though I haven't the foggiest idea why. Let's follow Explodey Boy, and we'll go back to Genosha ourselves. Here, the mutants are continuing to dramatically pose while stuff happens around them. Explodey Boy flies in, and it looks like his jetpack might be powered by dirt. It's, it doesn't look like it's propelled by any sort of combustion. It's just like dirt. Though I can't say for sure. He lands next to the Explodey Boy zombie version so they can have a chat. And he tells his undead self that it's just not cool to eat people. To which the zombie vomits all over the place, which isn't funny. Not funny, no. They then talk a bit about, uh, you know, what it's like to be dead and what it's like to be alive again. And this really confuses things for me. Not, Not so much in the story, but let's go back to the Scarlet Witch. Just what in the hell was she trying to do? What was she even thinking? 
If Xavier's already resurrecting the victims of the Genosian genocide, then what in all hells was she trying to do? I mean, Xavier hasn't exactly been silent or quiet about what they're doing on Krakoa. And I mean, if anyone ought to have some sort of insider's knowledge, it'd be the friggin' Avengers, right? They would know. I suppose I could ask, is Wanda still an Avenger? Or is she just like a wandering lunatic these days? I guess it really doesn't matter. Though, let me just say, uh, I am thankful that the Avengers haven't been shoehorned into every other issue of this run, because uh, the 2010s were a very, very long decade of just that. Okay, so back to the conversation here, the explodey conversation. It goes from the broader sort of a thing to a more personal sort of chat. And I will say, for the first time yet... This series actually feels like uh, there might be some pages in it worth reading. It, it's it's pretty well done here. Uh, the living E.B. tells the undead E.B. about some stuff about it, uh, his home life here. Uh, that they're, he's getting along better with their parents. He had his first kiss with a girl that's totally out of their league. It's, it's a pretty cute thing. Though, it really doesn't make up for the fact that they thought it would be so LOL random to name this kid Explody Boy. But... All that being said, it's not a half-bad little scene. I, I quite enjoyed it. Now, Living E.B. tells Undead E.B. that this is all going to eventually end, and so that all they can do for the moment is watch Demon Magic fight the giant Glore monster. Undead E.B.'s like, nah, I ain't going out like that, and he asks Living E.B. to hand over the jetpack. They then share a somewhat touching farewell before Zombie Splody Boy launches himself into the Glore monster's mouth and explodes. So, bada-bing, bada-boom, Glore Monster defeated. Now, as the dust settles, Demon Magic continues to proclaim herself as being the zombie queen of Genosha, or whatever stupid nonsense she was spouting off about last issue. I mean, is she a godhead? I think she's a godhead. That sounds Hickman-y enough to, to be a thing. But, let's remember what Doctor Strange said earlier in this issue. This whole mess would go away after 30 days. And right now, the clock's ticking. And uh, Doctor Strange actually said that, get this, 29 days, 23 hours, and 59 minutes ago. Oh, how convenient. The clock finally ticks over, the odd rod dissipates, and bingo bango, magic returns to her normal self. Beast looks on and comments about how embarrassing this must be for her, to which she proclaims that she regrets nothing. Now, with the mess over and done with, the mutants head home. And we get four highly decompressed pages because we're approaching the finish line and we gotta at least pretend to justify the fact that you paid $5 for this. Beast basically narrates how important it is to go on living. And we close out with Wanda sitting in her study reading a book and probably figuring out the next way she's gonna concoct something really stupid and ultimately pointless that we will all have to sit through soon enough. Finally, the end. Next episode, finally, X-Factor. But let's, let's get Empire out of the way, at least the, the main miniseries here. And I will start by saying, I'll admit it, I didn't hate this issue as much as the first three. And I actually didn't hate the issue at all. It wasn't half bad, in fact. Um, we really didn't deserve being put through the first three issues to get here, but, I mean, we gotta take the bad with the good, I suppose. Before going into this issue, let's get all the meta stuff out of the way first, right? This story didn't need four issues to be told. This story didn't need to cost 20 American dollars to be read. This story didn't add anything to the greater Marvel Universe, nor to the X-Men. This was still a grift, 
and an exploitation of Marvel and or X-Men completionists. If this story absolutely needed to be told, it could have been fit into a single regular-sized issue of X-Men Volume 5. And I mean, we're going to be getting a couple of Empire issues of that coming up pretty quick as well. We'll see that in episodes 88 and 97, in fact. So all that to say, this wasn't worth the price. Anybody who paid full price to this, for this was a victim of theft. And with every sale of this that Marvel made, they were stealing money. Okay? Now, in fairness, I did hear from uh, either Jason or Damien, I believe, uh, when I was reaching out a few episodes ago trying to figure out what people thought of this uh, series because I was afraid I was being too negative about it. I did learn from someone that the X-Men weren't originally going to cross over with Empire, but I guess this was a either an editorial or a marketing mandate, and the fact that we're dealing with plants and so much of the Dawn of X uh, milieu is wrapped up in plants that it would only make sense for the X-Men to be involved in it. So this wasn't the original intention. This is an order that, if what I was being told is accurate, this is an order that came from on high, and uh, the... Dawn of X Brain Trust was just trying to make the best of it, and hey, you know, they, they got four issues out, which is probably what all they were told to do, so I, I can't fault them too much for what happened, because uh, they weren't planning on this anyway, but still, $20 for this, I mean, I paid half price for it, and still, I feel like I was ripped off, so if you paid 20 bucks for it, I, I apologize. I hope nobody did it to follow along with this show. If, if that was the case, I'd feel very, very bad. Okay, now with that all done and dusted, what did we have here? Well, we had a fairly well-told conversation between two versions of the same character. And like I said, it was pretty cute for the most part. But, and this is a Chris problem, I felt it was tempered by the fact that our creators insisted on calling this character Explody Boy. And this is just a Chris problem. I mean, because call him anything else, I'd have been on board. Explody Boy, to me, is way too pandering. It's retweet bait, pure and simple. And I'm sure it worked as such, so, I mean, hats off to them. But Explody Boy is just such a stupid name, and uh, not the sort of thing I need in my life. I'm still not quite sure what the in-story point of it was. Like, was the initial intention for the zombie EB to blow himself up inside the Glore monster's mouth? If so, okay. But we've already seen EB blow stuff up twice at this point, so why not just ask him to do it? And do his powers blow him up too, or just his surroundings? I don't know if we've got any clarification on that, or even if it matters. I mean, will we ever see him again? I kind of hope not. Though it wouldn't surprise me to see him in the background of a panel or two moving forward. I, I guess, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Back to Beast... I still quite enjoyed this take on Beast. It's almost like the Beast we're getting here and the one that we're getting in X-Force are two completely different characters. But I gotta assume that our head of X is at least reading X-Force, right? Uh, maybe not, because this Beast is actually written well. What else? What else? Um, Magic. She's kind of annoying here. Uh, I still can't get a bead on what her character is. She's almost written as a parody of the Claremontian strong female protagonist. It feels like she's veered into, into parody. Um, though for the most part, this story was an attempt at being funny haha, so for all I know, she was purposely being written as over the top. I don't know. Uh, the old ladies kind of stayed in their own corner here. 
I don't even know if any of them even got a line of dialogue, not that I'm complaining. Uh, the Doctor Strange scene, though integral, was kind of irksome. I, I don't read Doctor Strange. Uh, is he always this much of a snarky a-hole? I, I almost felt like we were reading like Tony Stark dressed as Doctor Strange there for a minute. Or, I guess, is snarky a-hole just like normal gear for Marvel heroes these days? It's like, hey, they like sarcasm in them movies. Let's, uh, let's make everybody sarcastic. Oh, well. It led to a convenient and contrived ending, which I would complain more about if I, you know, if I wasn't in such a rush to get to the end of this mess. Because, honestly, any ending would have been better than this continuing on a single <laughs> another issue. Uh, let's wrap up by talking about the art. Um, I really liked it. Once again, going back to the Beast... This was the best he's looked in ages. He actually looked like himself. Instead of having that sort of like furry but bald look, if that makes any sense. Like where it's like his hair on top is like really short. He looks like he's bald, kind of. And I mean, he looked different here. And that's a good thing and a bad thing. Because, yes, I do like that take. I like this look. But it's also a sign that the artist responsible just didn't care enough to check in with any of the current day reference materials. You'd almost think an editor or four, or maybe a head of X might have like noticed and said something about it. Which begs the question, should I even bother bringing stuff like that up anymore? I mean, if they don't care, why should I, right? I'm just happy that this isn't Carol Danvers with, you know, where she looked different in every single panel for several years. So this is at least a side thing, I, I suppose, you know. I can shout into the wind until, you know, until I run out of shout. But uh, what good would that do any of us? Oh well. Overall, if you can find the Explodey Boy chat with himself, that's probably worth a look. And I'm sure that that's been tumbled, retweeted, or whatever several times over, so it shouldn't be too hard to find. As for the rest of this issue and series, you don't need it in your life. You really don't. Uh, To put it another way, if you ever find yourself sent to hell, where I'm assuming there will be only two things you can read, and one would be Fallen Angels, and the other would be Empire X-Men, So if you are ever sent to this hell, my advice to you would be read Fallen Angels twice. Okay, now that is my final word on this miniseries. Let's go to the mailbag here. It's a short one today, just one message. And it's from Damien, and he's talking about Wolverine number three. Damien says, It's weird that this is the last part of a storyline, but doesn't feel at all final. The only resolution is that we learn that Russia is somehow the big villain behind the series. Maybe Vladimir Putin is a vampire and it's all one story. I'm surprised that a Disney company is characterizing an actual country as evil. Do they not buy Disney merchandise in Russia? And I'm glad you mentioned that because I thought I was being too sensitive to it. Because I noticed that every single time in these Dawn of X books, and I don't know about the wider Marvel universe, but... It's always Russia. In Marauders, it's Russia. In in X-Men, it's Russia. In Wolverine, it's Russia. I think in X-Force, there was stuff with the with the Russian armor. Everywhere, yeah, we, we actually have a uh, Colossus and Omega Red story coming up pretty soon. It does feel very pointed. It feels very weird that Russia is suddenly the safe target for, like, everything. I, I don't understand that. I, I don't know if there's any people from Russia listening right now. I would venture to say no. But uh, if so... Uh, please write in and let us know <laughs> what's going on here. How are, the, how are these books being received by uh, you and yours? Because it's uh, it's very pointed. Very, very pointed. Uh, Damien continues. 
I'm presuming that we're meant to see all the events of the last issue as an illusion created by Quentin Quire to snare the pale girl, but it should have been much clearer. Absolutely. Um, because none of that made it. It was so jarring, and I, I think even if you read this all in one go, it still would be jarring. It still wouldn't be very clear, because we see, uh, what's his face, Bannister. We see him get gutted, and then the next time we see him, he's okay. And there really is no sort of uh, A to B. It's just like an A then B, not an A to B. It's very, very strange. And the Quentin stuff, I don't. I, we don't know enough about the pale girl, I, and I would figure that, I don't know, maybe I'm just confusing or conflating ethereal-ism with, uh, with, you know, inability to be, um, you know, taken in by illusions here. But, uh, yeah, it was very, very opaque in in the storytelling and was probably something that appeared very clever in concept but in the execution it just uh yeah it missed it missed uh, damien continues talking of the pale girl i really thought they were going to reveal her to be a dream form of the sick daughter when the text page said she couldn't be read by professor x i was sure i was right I really think someone needs to stage an intervention with Benjamin Percy about his text pages. I'm sure he's misread the maximum number of words as a minimum. <laughs> no joke, right? It's a... Uh... <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, the text pages in X-Force are um, a bit much. Uh, I mean, these aren't even X-Force. This is Wolverine, but X-Force is just as bad. I mean, in X-Force, we had a whole scene play out in a te- in a in a text page. Uh... Yeah, these uh, these info pages are a bit much. They really are, and they don't really say a whole heck of a lot. I don't know what we were, what we needed from. I believe we had a conversation between the X desk and maybe Bannister. I think that, if I'm remembering right, and out of that, nothing really came up. Nothing came up that was really relevant outside of the fact that. Okay, they know that he's working with Wolverine. That could have been said in a panel. That could have been said in. Two lines instead of an entire page Damien continues Ultimately, I really enjoyed reading this issue But when you go back over it, there's very little to get your teeth into It's just a series of fun scenes, well drawn, and I'll take it And you're right, you're right This is a, this is a beautiful book with a lot of fun scenes um, Some scenes that were a little cringy The Magneto getting drunk one uh, in particular So yeah, it definitely has merit And it deserves to exist, I guess if only the story was like a little bit more linear, or a little bit more, or a little bit less opaque in it in the telling, I think I would have gotten far more out of this uh, than than I did. So uh, I'm also not really looking forward to what's next because vampire stories do not do it for me. So we'll uh, we'll hope for the best. We'll uh, you know keep our fingers crossed and hope that that one comes through a little bit more clear than this one did. Uh, out of the two stories we got in Wolverine number one, um, yeah, I didn't care for either of them, really. So uh, <laughs> I don't know. I was going to say maybe this one was better, but I think I actually enjoyed this one less because of my my vampire uh, you know, aversion, I suppose. But uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on uh, Wolverine number three, Damien. It's always very nice to hear from you. Now, if anyone else would like to reach out and, you know, say hello or talk about a book or tell me how negative I'm being about uh, Empire, Colon, X-Men and how it's, uh, you know, a 
solid gold 10 out of 10 in your book, uh, you can do so. You can reach out to me on, on Twitter at Ace Comics or WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com. There's also xlapsed.chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com. You can chat with us about all sorts of stuff over at 90s X-Men on Facebook, and you can check out the complete audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. I think that's where we'll leave it for today. Uh, onward and upward from here. Uh, we got the Empire miniseries out of the way, and uh, we're going to be jumping into the final of our Wave 2 Dawn of X books with X-Factor next episode. Really, really looking forward to finally sinking our teeth into that one. But uh, one more giant thank you to everyone for sharing your time with me today. It, it is absolutely humbling to have uh, such great listeners here. It really, really means the world to me. So thank you all so, so much. And until next time, as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya. <laughs>